that DIY projects go wrong, right? Uh, we've all experienced failures at different times. Uh, most recently for me, there was a uh, sprinkler system uh, in, my, in my yard that was, uh, was not working. And, you know, I get online, I check out a few YouTube videos. I, I figure out this is going to be really easy. I go and I do my thing. I try to fix this broken valve and I put it all back together. And now there are uh, two zones in my sprinkler system that won't shut off rather than one. You know, I made it worse. Eventually I, I got it fixed just in time uh, for the winter shutdown of my sprinkler system. Because, you know, that's the joy of home ownership. But um, this whole DIY thing, it's, it's not always easy. It can be very intimidating. And today, we're going to talk about what is probably the most intimidating DIY project, if you will, ever. We're talking about sharing Jesus. Um, we're making this easy for you, though, in this series. Um, we're going to break this down step by step. And today, we're beginning with step one, which isn't even really an action step. But it is absolutely necessary to begin this whole process. And, and it all starts with knowing what's at stake. And today in just a second, we're going to look at Romans 10 for our key uh, Bible, Bible text. But uh, let me pray for us right now. Father God, we, uh, we ask you to come, speak, work in our lives, do whatever it is that we need. God, I open myself up to you. I ask that I'd be a vessel for your word today. And God, we open up our hearts to you and we ask that you would do whatever it is that you need to do in us. We may have come here thinking we need one thing. God, do whatever it is that you know that we need. We pray this all in the name of Christ. Amen. Uh, so we're going to talk about um, sharing Jesus through Romans 10. Uh, these words of Paul, Romans chapter 10. You can grab your Bible there. You can, uh, you can open, turn there rather. You can open up your smartphone, go to uversion.com. You can also look there or it's going to be up here on the monitor in just a second. But um, let me tell you about Romans 10 really quickly. This part of the book of Romans, Paul is, he's, he's talking to people, and he's talking about a very critical issue. Um, people have raised this question, and they've said, okay, if Jesus is the Messiah, and he's come for all people, not just for the Jewish people, the Hebrew people, then uh, does that mean that God has rejected his Old Testament people? Does that mean that God doesn't care about these people who have been his chosen people forever? And Paul says, no, 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 you've got it all wrong. See, the reality is that everyone comes to God by faith, and God isn't a chooser of people anymore. And he begins to describe this even more in Romans 10, starting at verse 9. Uh, let's look at it right now. Paul says this. He says, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then he goes on. He says, Because it's with your heart that you believe and are justified. To, to be justified means to be made right. To be made uh, righteous, maybe. That's kind of a churchy word. But, but to be justified means to be made right. To be put in a right relationship with God. To be restored in a relationship with God. To be declared innocent or, or uh, as I said, righteous. So it's with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him, anyone who believes in him, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. So there is no difference between Jew or Gentile, Paul says. It's, it's not one over the other. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So Paul here says, you know what? It doesn't matter what your lineage is, what your past is, who your family is. None of that matters. All that matters is if you profess Jesus with your mouth and believe in your heart, you will be saved. Well, that sounds nice, but saved from what? 
Uh, let's think about it this way. You know, this, this line here is life. This is, uh, you know, your family, your, your job, your school, your mortgage payment, your, your pets, your, you know, your loved ones, uh, your, your social life. This, this is life as we know it. And we're kind of living life and, and uh, we're, we're all acquainted with this. Uh, but there's actually another dimension, another reality beyond life just as we know it. When Jesus came into the world, he described it as the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And it's this other reality that's layered on top of life as we know it. They both kind of exist together. And Jesus says, and this is what Paul is, was just talking about in Romans, Jesus says that, that uh, by faith, by professing him, by believing uh, in him, in your heart, that you get to be a part of this new reality, this, this reign and rule of God, this, this kingdom of grace, this, this, this kingdom of forgiveness. You get to be a part of that. And, and for a while, as you're a part of that, these two realms kind of go on together. And if you've been following Christ for more than a week, you know this tension of living in between these two realms, of still being here, you know, living a, a regular existence, living a regular life, and being a part of this. And, and that's where this battle between will comes into all of us, you know, this battle between, well, I, I kind of want to do things that are bad for me, and yet I know God calls me to something else. Uh, this is the battle between, you know, sickness and healing, there's so many battles and tensions that exist between these two, and, and so we kind of live there, and it's, it's frustrating, but ultimately it's good because what happens is someday this earthly life passes away. And uh, if we've received Jesus by faith, it's okay that this earthly life passes away either because we die or because Jesus comes back and, and brings an end to all of this. It's okay if this goes away because we go on forever because we've made ourselves a part of this reign and rule of God by faith. We, we go on for all of existence. Now, this is what we usually call heaven, right? We get all caught up in the place. The Bible talk, calls it eternal life. Uh, Paul would say this is being saved. Uh, it's more about a relationship with God in the Bible, but, but we call it heaven. Okay, so, so that's one, that's one um, scenario here. But remember, there were two lines. Let's talk about the other scenario. See, there's another scenario here, and that scenario is if you kind of live your life here and you reject all this, eventually if you reject all this long enough, God will take that away. And you go on, because we all have to spend eternity somewhere, you go on here on this line, um, and, and we call that hell, right? Um, and we, again, we refer to it as a place. The Bible doesn't refer to it as a place as much as it talks about separation from God, separation from all of that stuff that God was bringing into the world. Now, for some of us, and maybe this is you today, honestly, you're kind of living life here, and you go, you know, this, this isn't so bad. I've actually, I'm, I'm living a good life. This, this is not so bad. This is not that hard. I rather enjoy this. I could do this for a while longer. I, I could do this forever. But what we forget is that we're not just living life like this alone. Remember that other dimension that was there? All of that, all of God's goodness whether we accept it or not, is still active in the world. So whether or not you receive Jesus, his love, his kindness, his goodness, it's still falling on you. Even if it's indirectly, you're still benefiting from it. And what happens is, once God takes that away, this, you know, it seems tolerable now, it gets scary very, very fast. This goes downhill very, very quickly. But you see, most of us, we don't realize that. We, we don't realize that that other dimension plays such a huge role in making this tolerable. Whether or not we directly receive Jesus, that we're still benefiting from him. 
And so there are a lot of people, and maybe again, this is you in this room, you're going, I can do this. And and what you don't realize is that this is not going to be your eternity. Life as you know it doesn't get to go on forever because someday when, when you are separated from the goodness of God, this gets pretty awful. But you see, there are very few people in the world who know this. Um, There are 120 million people in America who really understand this. So don't you think someone should say something? There's another way to look at this, if we could go back and see those two lines again. You know, we often think in terms of eternity, right? We think of heaven or hell. We think of where this is all ending up, and that's good. The Bible talks about that. Uh, But you know, Jesus in his ministry, he didn't go around preaching hellfire, He didn't go around telling people, hey, you better repent or otherwise someday you're going to go to hell. In fact, his preaching was repent for the kingdom of God is at hand and you want to be a part of this. Uh, Jesus didn't go to people who were broken, people who were sick, people who were sinful and say, you know what? I know life has been hard on you, but just wait. Someday you get to die and you get to go to heaven and it's all going to go away. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus would go to broken people and he would say, your body's been broken your whole life. Be healed. And he would go to someone who was caught in this cycle of sin and brokenness that drove uh, them to more sin. And he would say, let me call you out of that into a different kind of life. See, if you know anything about the Gospels, and some of you do, some of you don't, that's okay. But let me just tell you that, that as Jesus talks about all of this, he's not ultimately concerned. He doesn't direct all of his attention to the end result of heaven or hell. He, he really directs his attention to the now. To what this kingdom of God, the reign of God means now. How many of you travel a lot for uh, work, especially on airplanes? If you travel on airplanes for work, raise your hand. Um, Any of you get to travel business class because you travel so much, you travel business class? No one travels here for work. Oh, I find that so hard to believe. Like 600 people in here and everyone's like, no, no. Um, Well, for me, the, the first and I think it's probably the only time I flew business class it was kind of a mistake. I was, in, uh, I was in Madrid, Spain, and I was going to see my girlfriend at the time, who is uh, now my wife, and, uh, and I, was in, I was in Madrid, and I think, I think they just felt bad for me because my, my Spanish was so bad that they upgraded me. Um, because the woman at the counter kind of told me, she was like, oh, you want to fly business class? And I'm like, oh, no, I'm not flying business class. And she goes, oh, today you are. And she gave me the, the ticket, and I thought, oh, this is awesome. Because I knew what business class was about. You know, when you walk on the plane, they're all seated there with their drinks and they're, you know, scowling at you because you're flying coach, right? And they're like, ha, we're business class, baby, Um, right? You've seen those people or maybe you are one of those people. And so I knew about business class and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be sitting in the front scowling at people. This is awesome. I have to figure out how to scowl in Spanish though. I don't know how to do that. Um, And so I was sitting in the front or I was thinking about sitting in the front in these seats and I walk away from the counter and uh, in one of the other attendants, points me to this, this room, and I go, what is this? And honest to goodness, at this point in my life, I had no idea that not only did you get to sit in these big comfy seats and get extra attention and get to board the plane first, uh, but I didn't know that there was a business class lounge. And, uh, and someone pointed it out to me, and I walked in there, and I thought, now this is how you wait for an airplane, right? There's free food and drink, and there's comfy furniture, and I think, man, this, this is incredible. Now, now I, I had no idea about that, and I think for us as Christians— we fall into this as well. Um, we get all caught up in, in what's going to happen on the flight someday, right? What's going to happen someday that we forget about the lounge now. But Jesus was all about the now. 
Because guess what? Eternal life doesn't begin after you die or when the world passes away. Jesus makes clear that eternal life begins at the moment of faith. When you profess him with your mouth and you believe in your heart, that's when eternal life begins. That's when relationship begins. That's when grace comes into your life. That's when healing begins. That's when forgiveness begins. That's when shame starts going away. And all of that is the stuff of eternal life. And Jesus says that it just keeps building and building and building, and it goes on forever. He described it as a fountain one time. He said, it's kind of like a fountain that, that starts small and it starts welling up until you overflow. That's eternal life. See, for us as Christians, we, we're kind of caught up in this heaven-hell thing. So, you know, we, we come to church. It's kind of like keeping our fire insurance policy up to date. And we're like, how often do I have to come to church to make sure I get in at the end of life? And we're so preoccupied with our ultimate destination that we ignore that Jesus actually talks about now. See, see if, if you knew this, if you believed this, you wouldn't be asking those questions of like, wait, how many times did we go to church already this month? Do we really have to go again? <laughs> you wouldn't ask those questions. If you knew that Jesus was going to pour into you life, a kind of life that is overflowing, if, if he was going to give you a dose of eternal life today that, that would just keep building forever, you'd be like, I, how often can I go to church? Can I stay for the 11 o'clock service? Right? Believe me, you would. And, and by the same token, we get so caught up in this idea of, of hell someday that, you know, what? we forget that for a lot of people, hell is also a reality now. And let me explain what I mean by that. I mean that ultimately in the Bible, I told you hell is separation from, from all of the goodness of God. And for a lot of people, even though they're benefiting from, you know, the, the indirect benefits of, of God's work now, they're also living a life of separation now. They're living in alienation, alienation rather, now. They're living in guilt and shame and endless regret. They're living in sadness and despair and hopelessness now. See, Jesus came into the world, and, and he didn't talk about, hey, I'm going to save you from hell one day. He reached down and pulled people out of the hell they were living now because the stuff of hell just keeps building and building, going on forever, getting worse all of the time. And here's the problem with all of this, I think, is that most of us sitting in this room, uh, we've been on this journey with Christ. You know, we, we've been living in between this, but we've been benefiting directly from this so long that we can't imagine life any other way. Right? Just think in your life, how long have you been on this journey? Some of you, it's a few years, five years, 10 years. Some of you, 20, 40, 60, 80 years. For some of you, you've lived your whole life knowing the love of God. For some of you, there's never been a moment in your life, there's never been a moment in your life when, when you were unaware of the fact that there was a God in heaven who loved you so much that, that he would give his son for you, that he was able to forgive you, that he was able to restore you. You've never lived a day in your life without this awareness that, that God is powerful enough and good enough that he can even take your mistakes and redeem them, that nothing you do can disqualify you from his love. There's some of you who've never lived a day of life without that. And that's an amazing thing. God be praised if that's your story. But do you realize what happens the longer you live life that way? The longer you live life that way, the harder it is for you to even imagine living life any other way. You begin to take it for granted. You just kind of think that, that what you live under, what you know, what you experience is universal, that everyone has it, and they don't. 
And you know how I can tell that we all take it for granted, myself included? Is that we come to church on a Sunday morning and we get in the car on the way back and what do we do? We start evaluating. (laughs) We go, "Um, I like that song. I didn't like that song. This was too loud. This was too quiet. She's good. He's bad. I wish the other preacher would have been up today. Right? And I do that stuff too. And I get it. I mean, this, this is how I know because I do this stuff too. Sometimes I'm like, I wish the other preacher would have been up today. <laughs> but but here's, here's, here's what shows me that, that we're just taking this for granted is, is that we totally miss that in this time, in this place, we have received the love and forgiveness of God again. That God has been proclaimed as a God who loves us, who has a hope and a future for us, who's got plans for our life, who's washing away our sin, who's, who's giving us life now and forever, who's our companion walking with us through life. I mean, this is life-changing stuff. And we walk away and we're like, yeah, the music just wasn't right today. See, see again, I do it too, but that's a sign that, that we just don't realize anymore what we have. How amazing it is, how special it is, how life-changing it is. We don't realize that, that people in the world, if they just had a fraction, if they just knew a fraction, if, if they were given a fraction of what we have, if they just knew a glimpse of God's grace, of God's patience, of God's kindness, of his, of his unbelievable goodness, even to broken and sinful people like me and you. If, if people just knew a fraction of that, it would change their life forever. We forget that, don't we? We do. And you know how else I know? Because I watch new Christ followers. Uh, right now I'm watching a guy who's uh, brand new to his faith. And, uh, and he's telling all of his friends, like, you need to come to church with me. Uh, and, and, and he comes here and, uh, and he says, you need to come to church with me. And they're like, uh, Saturday nights we're up to like two in the morning partying and drinking. He's like, you know what, you go ahead, but still just come to church with me. It's going to be amazing. Now, why would that guy say that? You know, why would he put his reputation on the line like that? Because he has found something, and it's new, and it's incredible, and he is so grateful. He is so captivated by this, this thing that we take for granted, that he's like, no, 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 you guys have to get there. This will change your life. See, see, as Paul is writing in Romans, this is what he's trying to do. He's, He's speaking to people who already know about the Messiah, and, and he's trying to instill in them some serious urgency. So I want you to see what he, what he says from here. So he says, you know what? Just call on the name of Jesus, believe in your heart, and you get to be saved. You get to become a part of God's rescuing work now and forever. And then he continues, and he goes, but, but how then can people call on the one that they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them or proclaiming to them. And how can anyone proclaim to them unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Paul Paul just breaks this down really simply, and he goes, you know, okay, let's think about this. If people are living life without the awareness of God, without the benefits of a relationship with God now and forever, the stuff that we take for granted— How is that ever going to change? Well, I I guess if they're going to call on him, they need to know about him. Well, how are they going to know about him unless they hear about him? And how are they going to hear about him unless unless it's proclaimed to him, someone someone tells him about him? And and how is someone going to tell tell them about him unless unless they actually go and preach? So he comes down to this and he goes, you know what? If people are going to believe and profess, then someone's got to go and tell. But not just someone. You. See, that's Paul's ultimate point. You, it's, 
It's us. This is why this is a DIY. This is not just something that a preacher does. This is DIY. And, and, and you know, today, um, I, I realize that as you, as you hear that, there's some fear that creeps up. There's some objections that creep up. And today I want to close just by dealing with those very real objections that we all feel, I know I feel, and talking about why those should not stand in our way. So the first objection is this. It's not my job. Sharing Jesus, man, it is not my job. Leave that to the preachers. Leave that to the people who work at churches. Leave that to the missionaries. It's not my job. But I want you to see what Peter, so before we looked at Paul, now we're going to look at Peter. He was one of the closest followers of Jesus, saw him die and rise. I want, I want you to look what Peter wrote to Christians in his day. He's speaking to just a congregation of Christians. And uh, this is what he writes in 1 Peter 2. He says, but you, you, are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. He's saying, you know what? You are really, really special. God's done something amazing for you. Just, just remember that, because right, we, we forget this. We forget how special this is. And he goes, no, you are God's special possession. And the reason you are, look at the next section, so that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Whose job is it? Peter says, you know what? If you've been called out of darkness into his wonderful light, it's your job. Isn't that what we pay you for, preacher? No, you pay me for something. We'll get to that in week four. <laughs> this is your job. If you've been called out of the darkness into his light, this is now your job. Peter makes it really clear. So uh, another objection is, I don't know enough, right? I, I don't know enough. I don't know enough. How much do you think you have to know? Do you know Jesus? If you know Jesus, then you know enough. Some of you don't believe that. I want you to see what John says, another follower of Jesus. He says, the life appeared. We have seen it and we testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. So John says, you know what? If you have seen the eternal life who was with the Father, who has now appeared to us, he's talking about Jesus here. He's like, if you've seen Jesus, if you've seen his life, if you've experienced it, then, uh, then you know enough. Your job is simply to proclaim it, to testify to it. You know enough. If you know Jesus, you know enough. That's what John would say. That's what the Bible says all over the place. Now, I know some of you are thinking, well, you know, but, but you don't understand. My friends, they ask these really hard questions, and they're these really deep-thinking people. I still say, if you know Jesus, you know enough. But, but let me just push you a little further. If you're worried that you don't know enough, then why don't you learn more? I guess that most of you know how to read. Most of you can afford a book. You at least can get on the internet and look at free resources, listen to podcasts. If learning is holding you back, and it shouldn't, but if learning is holding you back, you can change that, right? Or what about this? I think this is a big one. I don't want to lose the relationship. I don't want to lose the relationship. I don't want it to be awkward. What if I start talking to someone and they put up walls and they never want to talk to me again? I don't want to lose the relationship. Now, I understand this one because uh, I feel this one all the time. You know, like, I don't, I don't want to alienate people. I don't want to be a stumbling block to anyone. I don't want to lose a relationship. Think about it this way for a second, though. If you're going to let that objection stop you that you don't want to lose a relationship, what you're basically saying is that you are willing to lose the relationship, hear me, 
You're willing to lose the relationship in the long term to keep it in the short term. Right? You're saying, it's so valuable to me that I keep this relationship in the short term that I'm willing to jeopardize an eternal relationship with this person. So I'm willing to take a short-term gain for a long-term loss. Well, that doesn't sound right. It's because it's not right. How many of you have heard of, uh, of the comedian duo Penn and Teller? You heard of them? Oh, yeah. Short guy who doesn't talk, big guy who talks. Uh, I came across this um, this week, actually, and, uh, man, I was, just, I was just mystified by it. Uh, Penn Gillette, the, the bigger guy who talks, he, uh, he has a video blog, and he's a renowned atheist. I mean, very, very outspoken about his atheism. Um, and yet I found this video story that he tells, and we kind of jump in in the middle of it. Um, and, and basically the setup of the story is this, that after a show one night, He's kind of meeting fans, and there's a guy who's waiting to talk to him. So there's this guy who's waiting to talk to him, and he eventually comes over. Uh, take a look at the rest of the story.
I find that fascinating, isn't it? I mean, here's a guy who doesn't believe in God, and he's calling us out. He's saying, you know what, if, if you believe, if you believe that there is some risk, if you believe there's something better out there, why, why wouldn't you tell me about it? I expect you to tell me about it. And I love at the end, even though he says, you know, I, I know there's no God, and one thing isn't going to change that, and yet that one thing affected him. I mean, you could see it in his countenance. So you're afraid you're going to lose a relationship? Okay, but are you willing to accept a short-term gain for that person's long-term loss? Uh, the last objection I think that we all have, and we probably never would vocalize it because uh, we don't want to admit it, but it's, it's this, that I'm, I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed. Right? I'm, I'm embarrassed to sound stupid. I'm embarrassed to talk about something as deep and personal as my faith. I'm embarrassed of, uh, of having someone shoot me down. I'm, I'm embarrassed of what other Christians say and do. And I just want to let you know that, that Jesus, I'm not going to go there right now, but Jesus has some very specific and unsettling words for people who are ashamed of him or his words. And if you want to be unsettled today when you go home, go open up your Bible to Mark 8, 38. Mark 8, 38. If you want to be unsettled, go to Mark 8, 38. You will be unsettled. I'm not going to go there now. That's for you to do on your own time. Because what I want to show you is I want to show you something else. I want to show you um, what Paul, this guy who wrote Romans, I want to show you where he landed on all of this stuff. Uh, because Paul was this guy, and, and you know, he's living for a while as a part of this elite religious society. He's a Pharisee. He's kind of this dignified, high-class religious man. And then he turns away from all of that because he begins following this itinerant, hick, so-called Messiah from, from, you know, the hill country of Nazareth and, and begins teaching that he died and rose again. And Paul immediately loses respect with all of his peers, all of his peers. And yet Paul comes around and he says, you know what? People think I'm, I'm a fool. People think I, I'm a sucker. People think, I, you know, I'm just, I'm just dumb, that I'm intellectually inferior. And yet this is what Paul says in Romans 1. He says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. See what Paul is saying is he's saying, you know, if you're ashamed, if you're embarrassed, it's only because you don't know the power of the gospel. Because if you knew the power of the gospel, if you knew how powerful the gospel is, th this, this testimony of who Jesus is and what he's done, if you just knew how powerful it, it is, th th then you would know that if you share it with someone, even someone who might think you're crazy, they might believe. Because the gospel has power. Paul saw this enough. He, he talked to high officials. He talked to high religious leaders. He just went out there and he shared it. And guess what? They heard the gospel and they believed. And he said, this gospel has power. If you're embarrassed, maybe it's because you don't know. Or you're unwilling to accept how powerful the gospel is. It's powerful when you share it. It changes people. So again, Romans 10, it says, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And, and how can they believe in the one that they have not heard about? And how can they hear without someone speaking to them? And how can anyone speak to them unless that person is sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. So today, you've got a choice to make. The choice is rather simple, but it affects quite a lot. The choice is, will you accept this calling 
as your calling. And, and if you will, if you do, what's going to happen is, is you're going to be leaning forward on this series. Because you don't know how to do this. I don't know how to do this. I don't feel prepared for this. None of us do. But you're going to be leaning forward. You're going to be here every week. You're going to be taking notes. You're going to be praying that God will unsettle you and give you urgency and, and, and uh, equip you. You're going to be praying for people in your life who don't know God. Things are going to begin to happen to you. Transformation is going to take place in your own life. And you're going to start to see God working in people around you. That's what's going to happen if you accept this calling. And yet, if you're kind of hearing this and you're going, you know, this sounds awkward, this is uncomfortable, I don't think I like this, then I can predict what's going to happen for you as well. Uh, you're going to find lots of convenient reasons not to come back for the rest of this series. There are going to be all kinds of excuses that keep you away, you know, soccer games and weather and not feeling well. And, and you're just going to kind of blow this thing off because it's going to make you uncomfortable. And, and if you do that, I just want you to realize what you're doing. If that's the choice you make, what you're essentially saying is you're saying, you know what, I'm okay with the fact that people in my life are going to go on living a Christ-less life. I'm okay that they're not experiencing all the great things I'm experiencing. I'm okay with the fact that they're experiencing a form of hell here on earth that's going to go on forever. I'm okay with that. And I know that sounds mean. I know some of you think I'm being manipulative right now. Some of you may be mad and you're like, I'm never coming back to this church. I hate that guy. And you know what? I'm sorry about that, but there are some things in life that are black and white. You've got a choice to make. And the scriptures make it clear. You're either going to embrace this and you're going to ask for God's help to be able to do this or you're going to say, you know what, I don't want to do this and you're going to push it away and, and you're essentially saying that you are okay with people not having what you have. So what's your choice going to be? Let me pray. Father God, I, I pray for us, all of us in this room, and I pray that you would unsettle us right now. God, if we're feeling uncomfortable, good. I, I pray that that discomfort would continue. Because there's nothing good, Father. There's nothing noble about people living life around us, separated from you, separated from your life and hope and forgiveness and mercy. Father, there's nothing good about that. And yet here we are, most of whom in this room, we've been called out of darkness into your wonderful, marvelous light. And yet we just, we're not sharing it. And so Father, today I just simply pray that you'd unsettle us. Do that however you need to. Fill our hearts with gratitude again. If, if, if we've just kind of grown immune to this message of hope, if, if we just kind of think that everyone has this, um, fill our hearts with such deep gratitude for what you've done for us through Jesus. Fill us with such deep gratitude for who Jesus is and what he means to us that, that, that we just, we just, we're bursting to share it with other people. But God, do whatever it takes to help us know what's at stake. Give us a sense of urgency. Start there, God, and then throughout this series, keep working on us. Build on that sense of urgency, the, the attitudes and the approaches and the skills that we need, um, worked by your Holy Spirit, not only in our lives, but in the lives of the people that we, we want to share Jesus with. But God, start today. 
by shaking us up about this reality that we don't want to face. I pray this in the name of Jesus. My rescue, the rescue of the world. It's in his name I pray. Amen. I told you at the end of the service that we're going to conclude with communion.